today's episode, we're going to be doing an introduction to health literacy. So some of the things that we're going to cover, what is literacy, what is health literacy, what's the difference, and who's affected by it, and what can we do about it today? If you'd like to share like kind of like your family's, your family's cultural role and in, in kind of in your literacy and how they deal with literacy in their personal lives. Yeah, Anthony. So we were talking earlier. Um, so my parents are not American born. They grew up in Columbia and over and overall, although their literacy is very good um, and so is their health literacy, but you know, some of the things that they do struggle with is grammar and writing. So in a way, in so this connects because literacy is a form of communication, either it being on paper when you're looking at medical documents or orally when you're trying to communicate with someone. Something as simple as grammar can change the way things function in a sentence. So one of my experiences that's really opened my eyes up to why health literacy needs to be talked about is when I was in my internship uh, with Dr. Geyer my senior year, uh, students had the opportunity to go to um, one of the more rural parts of, oh, it's not Gainesville, uh, one of the rural parts around Alachua County. And we were primarily focused on doing HIV testing. So what was very interesting about this experience, unlike other HIV testing uh, scenarios that we did around, uh, let's say, the university, is that people there didn't speak English. And I'm, you know, very fortunate that I speak Spanish. But I was in shock when, you know, so this one particular man in general came up to us. And I realized that although I spoke Spanish, he didn't speak Spanish. He spoke a different dialect, more of a native dialect of his region, and it wasn't Spanish. And trying to communicate to him the importance of HIV testing, I couldn't. And, and I couldn't imagine, you know, him going around to different tables and, and other people trying to explain to him what health was. So for me, this is an aspect that both, both encompasses literacy and health literacy. So, you know, those are kind of my two big, big experiences having to do with literacy slash health literacy in general. Uh, and what about you, Anthony? So, yeah, so I'm kind of on the same boat as you. Um, my, both of my parents were, were born in, in another country that's not the United States, and they both, their first languages were, were Spanish. My sister was actually not born in the United States either. And my mom, she still has her, her beautiful accent. So she, she's always had um, some trouble with pronunciation and things like that. And like you said, even grammar, um, although she's very, they're all very smart, like your parents are. But there are some things that need further explanation at times because in communication and like what, how they would phrase it in their language, and how they would phrase it in English. Um, and I have been able to see that, but but for me, another experience that I had that was pretty interesting, kind of like yours, was when I was able to go to the Acorn Clinic, their dental clinic. They were doing dental work on, on the migrant workers. And it kind of spoke to how, it also how important, and this is not, this isn't relevant to literacy, but really just diversity in the healthcare um, field, like how we need people that know different languages. We need health professionals that are, that are understanding of different cultures and it was really important that these dentists, you know, were able to speak Spanish and able to communicate with these patients. Because if you can't communicate, then, you know, 
and which is funny because we're talking about how we can't even communicate in English. You know, this is both we have two different languages, but we're talking about right now how we can even communicate in the United States when both the patient and the professional speak the same language. So that was kind of our personal experiences, but let's start diving deeper into the bigger picture of literacy. So if you can explain to the listeners, like, I don't know, what, what is literacy to you um, and kind of like the textbook definition? Yeah, so I'm going to be reading this off of one of Dr. Geyer's PowerPoints, um, but literacy is the ability to use printed and written, and written information to function society, achieve goals, and develop one's knowledge and potential. Okay, so that's a little definition on literacy, and there's really a lot of aspects to literacy. Like some of the things that Dr. Geyer mentioned is, you know, skill-based, uh, word-level reading skills. There's, you know, there's some skill base to it in terms of understanding word-level reading skills and there are a higher level of literacy skills such as comprehension. Um, so now to understand what illiteracy is, is the inability to read or write in any capacity. So if you take, you know, I feel like we take for granted the fact that we can read and understand. I mean, once again, before taking this class, it never occurred to me that, you know, people would struggle with not being able to read. Because that seems something that was, you know, that's kind of like basic in our community. Yeah, I mean, and going back, sorry, going back to what we were talking about before, like growing up, I've always had, my parents always gave me books. You know, we always grew up around books in our households. And we and like you said, we take that for granted in our community, but just being able, just giving, just having those opportunities. Yeah, and you know, one of my favorite things to do is read. Like reading, I like breathe books, or at least, you know, I like I wish, to think I, that. I, I need to read more. I'm trying to get into it, so. And I can't imagine, I feel like without being able to read, it's like a blindness, right? You know, for me, you know, reading books is like breathing, and I can't imagine my life without oxygen. So, you know, once again, Dr. Geyer has done this incredible job of poking holes in what our idea of, our per of you know, the perfect society is. Um, so another aspect of literacy that, uh, that Dr. Geyer had mentioned is this um, reading and writing skills and the fact that they need to be adequate in order for you to understand, right, what it is you're uh, reading. So if you don't have those skills, those are going to hinder your ability um, to be literate. Yeah, and I, I, I'd imagine that if you could not comprehend what, you're, what, what it is you're even reading, then you probably are not going to be able to comprehend what a pamphlet or paper at the doctor's office says, which is what we'll get into later because literacy and health literacy are two different things. So although there's important distinctions between health literacy and literacy, some of the things that we have, uh, that we do have to think about, uh, so some of the similarities that they both have is the fact that you need to have, you know, adequate reading and writing skills, and you need to be able to comprehend. And furthermore, you know, the importance of comprehension, because comprehending means that you have the ability to have a conversation about it, right? It's not you just took information from the environment and accepted it, but you're able to understand it and form ideas of it, or maybe sometimes even refute the knowledge that you already have. So you mentioned before how important it is for, for people in the United States and just across the globe to be literate. Um, and we have here from the, um, 
is this the website you got it from our world and data yeah yeah so and we have actual statistics based on the percentage of population um in the across the around the world that are literate and non-literate so and this is from the university of oxford so while only 12 percent of the people in the world could read and write in 1820 today the share has reversed only 14 percent of the world population in 2016 remained illiterate so that says that means that in 2016 86 percent of the population was it is is literate and it says over the last 65 years in the global literacy rate increased by four percent every five years from 42% in 1960 to 86% in 2015. Um, so there's some pretty large jumps in literacy. It seems like our understanding of the importance of literacy and an adequate education has on a human being and their, and their life. But it does seem like there are pockets of the population that we have yet to access. Based on um, a search that we did on the CDC Health Literacy, um, they mentioned that, that there's these certain levels in which they classify literacy, low being um, the lowest level and five being the highest level. Um, and one important point that I think the article makes, it says only 12% of U.S. adults scored in the highest literacy proficiency levels and only 9% scored in the highest numeracy levels. So this was another aspect of literacy that we hadn't touched upon yet, but very important for health literacy is this idea of numeracy. So numeracy is um, being able to access, use, interpret, and communicate mathematical information and ideas. So going back to this data, it seems that although maybe high literacy rates, maybe, you know, the idea of is it adequate enough if only... 12% are in the highest level of literacy, specifically in the United States. So, you know, we talk about literacy and we talk about um, the importance of it, but I think one of the things to highlight is the cost and the lack of literacy. So some of the things that Dr. Geyer had mentioned in her class was the national cost of adult illiteracy exceeded $17 million. Uh, in lost income, tax revenue, welfare, unemployment, crime, incarceration, and training in business. I know that some one of the leading causes of death in the United States is medical errors, which I think pertains more to the to the healthcare professionals and the errors that they create that they that they make. But I I do believe that a lot of those errors could be caused by a lack of communication between both sides, and that the cost of those errors of communication could cost you know the patients a lot of money and if you aren't able to communicate with me and allow and make me understand what you're trying to tell me that's going to cost me as a patient a lot of money so i'm not really surprised to see 17 million dollars i was kind of expecting more uh what do you think i mean i didn't know what to expect specifically and the amount of i guess loss income but I mean, just thinking in the general picture, $17 million, we can do a lot with $17 million. You know what I mean? Like, once again, I don't know what the costs are, you know, to, um, to teach someone literacy skills, but it seems like the $17 million that are essentially lost could be put to better use. And, you know, improving, improving people's literacy skills is definitely, I feel like a top priority. Yeah. And I mean, so we're saying right now that being illiterate is... It's pretty expensive, you know, and it's expensive in something that you're not even 
getting something like a value for if anything you're getting devalued um so like who are these populations that are being affected by low literacy so once again this was some information that we got um from dr geyer's presentation when we were taking her class the people who are most likely to be affected by low literacy includes people who live in poverty um they're less likely to have a high school diploma more likely uh, people who are elderly um, or seniors that are 65 years or older. Um, it's most prevalent in those who are incarcerated. Um, and also in this category includes foreign born adults, you know, which we were both mentioning that our parents are both, you know, foreign born, um, are less literate than children who emigrated by, um, by 11 years old. Yeah, and I think to a lot of people, those, um those populations that are typically associated to be low, low literacy skills aren't it's like not going to surprise a lot of people, right? But I think that's exactly the problem that we are accepting those those disparities. You know, that we kind of accept like these populations are the ones that have low literacy skills. But it is extremely important that we figure out ways and share ways to solve those problems and to help those populations become health literate and health or literate in general. Um, but yeah, so thanks for sharing that. So now that we've kind of talked about what it means, what liter what it means to be literate and kind of like the, the global view and, and the national view of literacy and how much it costs and, and who is affected, let's start talking about kind of some of the ways that we have personally seen that we can impact the community to improve their literacy skills. Yeah, so I can talk about some of my experiences. Some of the opportunities that I've heard of to improve health literacy. So I was at a Gainesville for All meeting and I happened to sit at their at their education table where they were talking about the importance of health literacy in particular. And so there were teachers that were developing uh, curriculums to improve health literacy. I think it was either through some summer programs or some programs uh, in the classroom to catch students that maybe weren't uh, reading at a high at a at a high enough level for their grade um, and I know uh, one of the programs that we're familiar with um, is you know okay some of the programs that we're familiar with are reading pals um, and mentor GNB you know both located in Gainesville Reading Pals, uh, Reading Pals specifically in Gainesville is a statewide early literacy initiative that provides volunteers for students uh, for voluntary pre-K to uh, third grade, third graders uh, who might need extra help. Um, so this specific program, although, um, you know, one of their branches is in Gainesville, they mm -hmm. offer programs in 27 counties via uh, the major organization, which is United Way. So, okay, so that's specifically Reading Pals. So this is, you know, simply one, uh, one organization that helps eliminate low literacy. Um, and I know that we were both a part of uh, Mentor GNB, but you had, uh, um, so I know that we were both a part of the Mentor GNB program here at the University of Florida. Um, although I worked with high schoolers, I know you had a more in-depth experience uh, working with students with literacy in general. 
Yeah, so I think that Mentor, Mentor DMV was actually one of the first clubs I found out about at UF when I first got here. It just provided me a great opportunity to kind of mentor students in middle, middle school and high school. And whether it be literacy or math or history or, or science, I was able to, to help them, you know, kind of develop a way to, to study and, and how to process questions and answers and, and how to write and things like that. And I think these types of organizations like Reading Pals and Mentor GMV are programs that are specific to Gainesville, Florida, yes, but I am sure there's many of them all across the nation and all across the globe that we as citizens can participate in and play our role, you know, just to help students with their literacy skills or whatever skills it may be. But yes, yeah, so I had a good experience with that. And I do hope to, um, to maybe participate in Reading Pals one day. You also mentioned Gainesville for All, and they actually recently started an early learning center because they truly believe, and it is true, that if you can start learning at a very young age, then the, the odds of you being a successful student or even individual when you're older is very related to your your studies at, at a young age, even three, four, five. And a lot of times kids don't get this opportunity unless they have the financial ability or fin financial stability to do so. So they actually are going to be opening um, an early learning center in Gainesville this upcoming fall, which I'm very excited to to see how it goes and things like that. But, you know, it's just the kids that are that are behind at a young age are typically the ones that are gonna be behind for the rest of their life. Um, if you can't read in third grade, you're probably not gonna be able to read in eighth grade, 10th grade. Um, and, you know, it's it definitely shows that's the case because it's, it's, it's really hard to catch up. And if you don't have somebody pushing you to catch up or supporting you to catch up, then it's even harder. Um, so I know one of the phrases that Dr. Geyer would use is, um basically like a negative cycle um, and to just delve into it for a second more for example if your parents can't read or you know they don't have let's say you know it's not a priority for them to have like books around the house because maybe that's not something that's important so if they can't read you can't read and because you don't have the resources around you to let's say learn how to read then you know you can see how it gets passed down from one generation to another a good education and even going to, to college and and furthering your education is becoming more and more expensive and more and more of a burden, um, which I'm so thankful to be in the position I am. I know how how fortunate I am, but that's exactly why I think people like you and I understand that and we think that it's our job to to play a role in the in, in the future of others that don't really have the uh, the opportunities that we have. So I know that we talked a lot about children uh, literacy um, and the idea of, you know, social reproduction. And just to make sure um, everyone understands what that term, that term means, it is defined as the reproduction of social inequalities throughout generations. Um, so one of the programs that I know of, not, uh, not very well, but I know that there are programs in Gainesville catered to adults who can't read. So there's resources at every level um, to kind of break this negative cycle of the inability to read and hopefully changing that for the communities uh, and for individual people. So now we've been talking about literacy for quite some time and I think that you know we made it very clear that you need to be literate first in order to be health literate but now I think it's better that we start talking about health literacy and what that is and, and kind of the role that it plays. 
the definition I have for health literacy from Healthy People 2020, they define it as the degree to which individuals have the capacity to obtain, process, and understand basic health information needed to make appropriate health decisions. So further on in this paragraph, one of the things that they mention is adequate health literacy. Um, and I think once again, this ties back to literacy because you may be able to read and write, but is it adequate enough? Um, so when they, when they say adequate, they mean um, including being able to read and comprehend essential health-related materials, um, which once again, like if you can't read prescription bottles and you don't know how many pills to take, um, or you don't know when your appointment is because it's not something that you can read or maybe comprehend, you know, that's a detriment. So once again, I just want to highlight the word adequate because we mentioned groups that are affected by literacy, but there's this level of maybe you don't know how to read, but if you do know how to, you know, read and comprehend, you may not be able to understand health literacy because you don't have the health vocabulary or, the, or you haven't been exposed to maybe let's say graphs or pictures of uh, some sorts uh, for it to be adequate enough for you to understand uh, maybe certain information that the doctor is giving you or information that's on pamphlets. Yeah, so I also remember just going over Dr. Geyer's PowerPoint she, she met. She had one slide that said that health literacy is a stronger predictor of health than age, um, employment, race, income, and educational level. That's important because a lot of people are like, well, educational level is kind of related to health literacy, uh, which we're going to discuss later. But that's just, that's kind of mind blowing, you know, like health literacy is a stronger predictor than all of those different variables. I'm going to repeat them again age, employment, race, income, and educational level. Wow. And I think, you know, why those are things that we have to keep in mind is why are certain groups, you know, affected again and again? by not having adequate health could be something as, you know, not basic, but important as health literacy. Um, if you don't understand health, then you don't know how to take care of yourself. Or if the doctor gives you a medication, for example, antibiotics, and you don't understand that you have to take the complete dose, you know, um, not just simply stop when you say, like, feel better, then that contributes to a lack of health literacy. And once again, that feeds into the cycle of negative health outcomes. And we say in the, in the perspective that the pa it's the patient's job, um, and it definitely is important that the patient takes as much responsibility into their own hands for their own health. But it is also extremely important that the healthcare professional makes it easy for the patient to understand exactly what they're being told and, and exactly how to take care of themselves. Um, which we'll get into later, but so we looked at earlier the financial effects of illiteracy, but can you kind of just talk about the effects of of health illiteracy and the costs that those outcomes have on patients in the medical system? I think the way that we have to think about health literacy is there's literacy and there's health literacy. Like there's, you know, one part and then another, meaning because you can have literacy and you can not have health literacy. Give me an example, actually. Like, what do you can, give me an example of a person, like off the top of your head? Am I supposed to know this? I mean, I was me. I, I can I, even just use myself. No, I think you'd be health literate, but I'm. I I typically think of like a, a something that's very very educated, like a lawyer. Like 
Okay, so you take it away with this one because I, mean, <laughs> I was just thinking you know, about myself. <laughs> oh, like a lawyer, a lawyer would be very, very educated, you know, and you would think that they would, they probably, I mean, most of the time I, I would assume they might not have that much trouble navigating the healthcare system, but you know, they're, that doesn't necessarily mean they're health literate. So they're still gonna have, they might have some similar problems, like somebody that's, that, that's not as educated as them. No, no, that was definitely, it's, it's def- that's definitely a good point. It's helping us understand what's the difference between literacy and health literacy. So we have to remember with health literacy, health in and of itself is a completely different language than literacy. It's like an added on, right? There's a lot of terms that, uh, you know, if and when we become doctors, there's a whole medical language and lingo that we're going to have to learn, but it doesn't necessarily mean um, our future patients or patients in general understand um, that language. It goes into this idea of the language of health literacy. So kind of to bring us back to the cost slash consequences, they include the inability to navigate the healthcare system, screening procedures, prescribe medical regimes, seek appropriate care when sick, understand informed consent forms. You know, I had, uh, I had that experience that I mentioned earlier. Uh, the inability to talk to uh, the specific patient uh, doing the HIV testing, you know, how could he understand the consent forms? Um, understanding and applying health education information and participate in self-management of disease. I, I find a lot of trouble just navigating the healthcare system. I mean, for example, when you go to to pay and like the different the different terms they use just for just for payments, you know, just for even getting just for finding out like where you need to go once you enter the building. Um, I think that, that the terminology can just be a little confusing for for even me and probably for a lot of other people. In in class in, in the health disparities course, we we kind of learned about some ways to measure health literacy, and some of the things that Dr. Geyer mentioned were like were specific tests. Um, so we have smog the fry readability graph the flesh reading ease which is which is on microsoft word and realm um which all have their own specific limitations and they all have their own specific strengths the limitations that they do have is that they only measure one specific variable and that is grade level very um, readability so it basically tells you what grade level this document is written at so it's what written at the sixth grade reading level eighth grade reading level 10th, you get, you get the point. But they also, the other limitation, they also do not consider kind of the layout of the, the document itself. So for example, the organization, the layout, design, and other things, including like graphs, charts, um, statistics, and things like that, which goes back to what you were saying about numeracy, being able to understand those numbers and being able to, to interpret graphs plays a huge role. So these tests aren't necessarily a solution. I mean, they're, they're great to tell us the, the grade level readability. And since we know that a large portion of the United States is not reading at a very high level, that our documents should be written at a, should be written at a lower grade level in order to ensure that all patients are being able to read the documents. Um, and I've read different uh, statistics in terms of what reading level um, most of the people in the United States are. So I can't claim, you know, a specific reading level. Another thing that I feel like some of, uh, once again, I'm not claiming I'm an expert, but these tests uh, might lack is the fact that they're not testing for comprehension, right? Because you can read at a certain level, but it doesn't necessarily mean you understand what you're reading. 
you know, we can't really depend on them, but we sure can use them, which is exactly what we're getting into. We're going to start getting into exactly what is the most important part of the healthcare system in ensuring that health literacy is not as much of a problem as it is. What do you think the role the health provider plays in ensuring that patients understand their situation? So honestly, I thought this was such a good question because I believe that the role of health provider plays is their teachers, their teachers of health. They match patients with educational needs um, to match their literacy skills. So what that means is that um, a healthcare provider recognizes at what level, um, let's say their patient can understand either health literacy information, providers make sure that the patients are understanding their health at a level that, that they can comprehend. And on top of that, I think that not only just the healthcare professional, but even just the healthcare offices, you know, like when we go in and we're filling out these forms to kind of tell them about like our personal information so they can give us their um, quote unquote best care, you know, they're not even really asking us, what is your education? What is your reading level? Do you believe yourself to be health literate? Or I mean, literate, do you like these kind of questions that are extremely important so that this can kind of prepare the, the, the healthcare professional. I mean, although they should be explaining in depth with every patient and ensuring that the message is received, you know, I should understand what kind of patient I'm dealing with and what kind of background they have. So there's different steps that we can take in order to ensure that the message is received, making sure our documents are at a grade, are at a specific grade level readability, ensuring that our, our forms ask the right questions. So uh, one of the things that we didn't mention is the fact that sometimes people will claim that they understand something when they don't, right? Sometimes you go to the doctor's office, they also, you know, they tell you a bunch of lingo and words and you have no clue what they said and, and you know, are like, do you understand? And you're like, I get it. And really you come out of there and you have no clue what happened. So I think there is, you know, that, that one second of do you understand maybe could be transferred into a better question to kind of bridge this gap of health literacy. Yeah, and we've also seen like in our, in our most, in our recent episodes where they talk about the most important aspect of healthcare are the relationships that we construct, you know? So in part, the healthcare professionals, their job is to make sure that the patient feels comfortable. You know, the patient is, is comfortable speaking to them and sharing with them. And if there is not that relationship between the, patient and the professional, I mean, it's going to be hard for, for the patient sometimes to maybe share all their information, although they should, um, kind of going like relating to what you're saying, you know, there's might be too much pride to share that kind of information that they don't understand the question, you know, and if I make the patient feel comfortable, that's going to make them much more likely to share that information and kind of let go of their pride. Although it might not necessarily be pride, I'm just using that term. So I think it's great that you brought that up. So kind of to wrap this podcast up, um, one of the methods that's used to kind of facilitate the process of helping patients understand um, what the health provider says is using this method of teach back, which we'll go into more detail in the debrief. But what it basically is, it's a tool that instead of asking the questions, do you understand? It's asking, what do you comprehend? So for example, you know, Let's say I, I tell a patient, um, 
you need to take these antibiotics for 14 days and take one every two hours. You know, just as an example, I would ask the patients to basically kind of tell me what they understood. So that's a way of, you know, one, repeating the information, but two, making sure the patients understand what you said. And if they didn't, then, you know, that misconnect or that, uh, that disconnect is something that can be fixed. Because when we say things in our own language, similar in, you know, when we study, we have to sometimes translate them into things that we comprehend. If, if patients say something incorrectly, then healthcare professionals can say it in a different manner. They shouldn't allow them to leave. I, I mean, I guess, and I say this without being a healthcare professional myself right now, but there should be rules in place that don't allow the patient to leave until it is ensured that they understand exactly what it is they have to do when they go home, you know, or, or there should be like specific documents given to them that, that tell them in a or understandable format that allows them to go home comfortable and safe. You know, so I, I think it's a great way to wrap it up because I think that if healthcare professionals are able to adapt to the teach-back method, there will be much better communication between the professional and the patient, and we're going to see a lot of much healthier outcomes going forward. We can just say, like, thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed. Okay, blah, blah, blah. Um, okay so, so thank you, everyone, for listening to our introductory episode to health literacy. Feel free to leave us comments on health disparity topics you might be interested. And feel free to check out the links provided in the description because we'll be providing links to almost all the information of where we got our statistics.